Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. If you would, take your Bibles and you can turn to the book of Romans, if you would. Children are dismissed for Children's Church. Enjoy, have a great time. somebody this morning that I got to church early this morning so that way and they asked why and I said well do you want a good sermon or uh, and they said a short sermon maybe we can accomplish both this morning Romans chapter 3 we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 31 and as we look at this, this is kind of a uh, the second part of Romans chapter 3. Today we want to look at God's righteousness. God's righteousness. All throughout this um, letter, Paul writes to the church in Rome. He, he is going to come back over and over and over again and speak about this righteousness. God's righteousness. And uh, he really um, hits at this, uh, the second part of this passage. Um, because of what he has been laying as the foundation about those who reject him and those who reject his way. And so we get to this in chapter 3 and we start in verse 9. And he's going to start here and we're going to read it together in just a moment. But he, he, there's this idea, okay, are we as Jews at an advantage? Do we have an advantage and almost reading back to, okay, what advantage is there earlier in chapter 3 of being Jewish or circumcision? And does it have any advantage? Sure it does. And when Paul writes here, he says, it's an advantage because God's given you his word, the oracles from God. He has entrusted to you, the Jews. Almost implying again here as we start this section, you haven't listened to them. And so if you're willing and able, would you stand with me as we read Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through the end of the chapter, verse 31. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an empty grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are in ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it. <coughs> Excuse me. For the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're grateful for your word and we pray as we dig into this section here in Romans 3 that you would bring it alive before our very eyes. Help us to see your righteousness. Help us to see where we stand before you as a holy and perfect God and how much you really love us. May that be displayed through your word today. May your spirit come alive to us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So he begins and says, hey, do we Jews have an advantage? No, you're not better because you have the law. The law doesn't make you better. It doesn't make you stand out as this um, level of you have God and then you have the Jews and then you have the rest of the world. No, when it comes to God's righteousness, Paul is making this very, very clear. He has already shared with us in chapter one about the Gentile nations and where they stand. All right. They're, while they didn't have the law, they are without excuse because what is known about God is evident to them. All right. Throughout all creation. And not only that, but here are these Gentiles and they are living this way. And you Jews who now think that you can judge them have no right to judge them because of chapter two. Right. You can't judge them because you are practicing the very things that you are condemning them for. And then we come to chapter 3 and the beginning part of that. What advantage is the Jew or the circumcised, the circumcision? And Paul very clearly says it's not because you have this name, this title that makes you righteous or right in God's eye. It's not even the circumcision, this outward expression that could be done in faith or not with faith. This doesn't make you right with God. And so it comes to this next section now, then what is being Jewish? Do we not have favor with God? Aren't we God's chosen people? And Paul lists the Old Testament to make an emphatic statement here. Paul isn't going to just use his words, which are what we have here, are empowered by the Spirit of God. They are um, ordained for us to have. They are the Bible. Amen. I mean, but Paul isn't going to use his arguments. He's actually going to point them back 
And I want to read to you, they won't be on the screen, but I want to read to you where Paul takes his Jewish audience, okay? And in the beginning part of this, in chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, 10 through 12 says, There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There are none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There's not even one. Psalm 14 Verses 1 through 3 says this, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. For the Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Psalm 14. Verses 1 through 3, but also Psalm 53, verses 1 through 3, also states that. Now look at verse 13. Verse 13, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongue to deceive. Well, you look at Psalm 5, verse 9. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. The rest of verse 13, the venom of asps is under their lips. Psalm 140, verse 3, they sharpen their tongues as a serpent. Poison of a viper is under their lips. Look at verse 14, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Psalm 10, verse 7, says his mouth is full of curses and deceit. And oppression under his tongue is mischief and wickedness. Then verses 15 through 17. Their feet are swift to shed blood and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. Isaiah 59 verses 7 through 8. Their feet run to evil and they hasten to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Devastation and destruction are in their highways. They do not know the way of peace, and there is no justice in their tracks. They have made their paths crooked. Whoever treads on them does not know peace. And then verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Psalm 36, verse 1, transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Interesting as we look at this, Paul's emphasis for what he's trying, his point he's trying to make. And ultimately it is this, all of you are sinners, all of you. And he goes on to say in verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So what's Paul doing? Well, he just used the law, did he not? He just used the Psalms. Uh, Psalmist David and a lot of these where they would have followed religiously what David would have said. He's their father. He's their great king. And there's going to be one who's going to follow after him and who's going to rule on the throne over them again, just like King David. Those were the good old days. And so here Paul is using David's words to incriminate them and say, hey, those who have the law would have lived under the law See, you have been given these words and you failed to live under them. Thus, the description that I've just told you, that's you. 
so that every mouth may be stopped. Look at that in verse 19. Isn't that awesome? The whole world may be held accountable to God. Not just the Jews, but every person. Because it shows not only the fall of man, but it shows the righteousness of God. That God is always right. We're going to get into that in just a minute. Verse 20 says, For the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So Paul's stating, the law has been given, and it's been given so that you may know, right? You may know what is sin. If you know what sin is, you're practicing it, don't think that you don't know it. It's like being caught by your parent after they told you not to do it. I told you not to do that. Well, I didn't hear you. Right? You ever use that excuse? I didn't really hear you, Dad. Now, we wouldn't say Mom today, Mother's Day. We don't want to throw her under the bus. Mom told you, right? We come up with these excuses, and ultimately, Paul is trying to say, you've heard it. All right? You know it. You know what's wrong because God's given it to you through the law. Now, I want to back up the early part of that verse, uh, verse 20 it says, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Here's a term, justified. And ultimately, it's a legal term, all right? And so when we look at this, I just want to talk through this a little bit because it's critical to where we're going through the rest of this passage and what Paul's argument will be. It's the legal standing, all right? Ultimately, it's he's telling them that they're guilty in the court of law. All right. There's a story about an older couple and this story of this older couple as they, um, um, have been paying rent for several months, they get behind and they're no longer to pay rent, able to pay rent. And so their landlord brings them to court and they, they owe $150. All right. in back rent. And so they come to court and ultimately, as they come to court, the account is given um, from the landlord and his lawyers, his attorneys, and they say, hey, we have given a shelter, we've given a home for these people to stay in, and they've agreed that they would pay us this amount, and they haven't kept their word. They have not been able to pay us. We are due that. That's what we agreed upon. That's the standard. And thus, these people owe that to us, okay? Well, in that same way, Paul's writing here, here is the standard, all right? The law shows us what the standard is. The standard for the law is perfection, to perfectly keep the law. But the people can't keep the law. And so this idea of being justified in the court they're already guilty and they know they're guilty. So the law needs satisfied. So as this couple comes to court and they give account, they have no defense. Yes, we're guilty. We should have paid that, but we don't have the funds to pay that. We're at a deficit. And so the judge 
has to rule. And if he rules, he has to rule it upon the law. And ultimately, the law says, yes, these, this couple owes their landlord this money. And if he rules differently, then he's not a just judge. Ultimately, it's already laid out, right? So for us, Paul's already said here, there is none that does good. No one. Now we're going to walk through what happens in the court of law because the law tells us that we fall short. And so how is the law satisfied? Let's keep going. Verse 21. But, that's a great word, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested or made known apart from the law. So while these Jews are depending on the law to see God's righteousness, that it would be credited to their account if they keep the law, Paul's writing says you can't keep the law, thus the righteousness of God that you need for your account, it's applied apart from the law. It says, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Some people want to throw away the law and prophets. Paul's not saying throw it away. He's saying, no, it gives, it gives testimony. It bears witness that, yes, there is the need of the righteousness of God in order to satisfy what the law demands. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So, going back, verse 21, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, and it's available, verse 22, it's available through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. He said, let me just tell you once again, verse 23, there's no distinction for all. When you see that word all, who does that mean? All. How many of you remember, and I'll ask you to raise your hand if you remember, the old uh, the soap detergent, the laundry detergent all. Anybody remember that? That's good. I'm not that old. Making me feel better already. All. And I remember the commercial as a kid sitting there and watching the commercial and that's all. At the end of it, it was like, we're going to get all of your uh, stains and everything out of your clothes. So that way, when you wear them, all of that's gone. And that's all. When Paul writes this, he's saying that very thing. Emphatically saying, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is not one who lives on the face of this earth who is good enough. All of us. So do we have the right to judge others? Surely not. Because we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same court hearing. The law has condemned us and said we're, we fall short. It's that, it's that, that archery term, right? Like... Pastor David, he's, he's good at archery, and we had some archery out there yesterday. I think, Phoenix, you were, you were pretty awesome out there, man, shooting it, and I didn't even try it. I saw Pastor Ed. Did you hit your target? Good. He won't admit it that he didn't. He missed once or twice, he said. 
but you pull back that bow and you let the arrow fly. And when the arrow misses its mark, all right, the bullseye is perfection. And the truth is, as we live life, we pull back the bow and our arrow goes and we miss the mark. You may say, well, my mark, my hit is a little bit closer than yours. It doesn't matter. If I can say that I'm going to throw a rock and hit the North Pole, we can all go out and grab a rock out here and throw it to the North Pole. Does it matter if yours is a little bit closer and mine's a little bit farther away? The truth is, we all missed it. That's the same analogy that he's showing us here. We fall short. We miss the mark of God's perfection. So, because we've all sinned, verse 24, there's no distinction, verse 22, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whoa, here's that legal term. Paul is saying the law, keeping the law, isn't going to make you right in the court of law. All right? You have this demand, and you are found coming short. This couple didn't pay. They were in demand of $150 that they owed. They didn't have it. There was no way they could come up with it. And so what's beautiful is we see here Paul's writing, even though that we all fall short of the glory of God, we are justified, we are made right. We're going to look at this. The legal demands have been paid for us. We're justified in court by what? What's it say there? By his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Another term that's really critical and important for us to be redeemed, to be purchased, to be bought. We've been bought, we've been redeemed because of Jesus and this aspect of Jesus. And then it goes on and Paul's going to describe for them, how did Jesus do this? Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So ultimately, it's this. We've been purchased from the slave market of sin. We've been found wanting in the court that we can't do anything about. Jesus, ultimately, by his propitiation, that big term, ultimately it means that his blood, this text tells us, his blood was poured out as a full sacrifice it was a full payment. So Jesus took the full payment of God upon himself. So why did Jesus have to go to the cross and die for you and me? Ultimately, he did that, taking the full wrath of God, because God is a just God. He is right. And because we all fall short, God isn't going to lower his standard because he can't. He is not a liar nor do we want a God who's going to change. God is the same from the first day that he ever was and he is and he will ever be. God is. Hard to get our mind wrapped around that, right? We just know beginning, middle, and end. 
Here, Jesus came. God sent him, his son, and Jesus redeeming us in order to satisfy what the court demanded. Jesus hung on a cross and he took our punishment. He took the full wrath of God. God's wrath was demanded upon us because we fall short of his perfect standard. And because we all fall short, we're all in the same boat. But God can justify us, all right? He makes that right standing because of what Jesus did. Jesus, the full propitiation by his blood was poured out, satisfying the legal demands that you and I have. We fall short of God's perfect standard because of that. We needed payment. The only payment that could have possibly happened was a full man who was sinless to go on our behalf. God sent his son, Jesus, fully God, but yet fully man, and he took that place. Sinless, he died in our place. He took that punishment. That same picture we see throughout the Old Testament, the Jews understood that because here they would bring their sacrifice, all right? Bring their lamb, bring their animal before God, and that sacrifice of the blood being poured out would cover their sin. It would not take away their sin. And Paul talks about that in this passage. God bless you. So God put, verse 25, put forward as a propitiation by Jesus' blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Meaning, what happened to those who sinned before Jesus came? If Jesus took the full wrath of God and the punishment in order to take us from that place and to bring us over here to make us right, what happened to all those people who were before Jesus? Well, the text tells us. Paul says, listen, all those, God passed over. It doesn't mean that he didn't deal with their sin. Read through the Old Testament. You see how he deals with it. All right? But the full wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus for those who were before Jesus and for those who were after he died, who placed their faith in him. It, would, it did this, why? Verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We walked through a whole series of characters of faith. And ultimately, it was their hope of the coming Messiah who would free them from their sin. Who they placed their faith in God that God would deliver them. Did God fulfill that? No, God had not yet fulfilled that. But they looked forward, waiting for that to come. Jesus comes, taking the full wrath of God upon himself paying that penalty that was due, not only for those current, but then all of those Old Testament saints who God had passed over their sins for a period of time, not lowering the standard, but as Paul says, no, because he is just. And he is the justifier of those who will place their faith in him. Showing that here, God still was providing. It was in the right time that Christ came. And so Christ is sufficient to forgive even his sacrifice was sufficient even to pay the penalty of those Old Testament saints 
and the New Testament saints as well. So verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? I'm Jewish. I'm good enough. Paul says, it's excluded. You don't have anything to boast in. By what kind of law? Referring to how do we live then? By what kind of law shall we be living? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So going back to the courtroom, here we are all found guilty and want. The law needs to be satisfied. And ultimately, here is Jesus, the propitiation by his blood. He satisfies what the law needs and demands. The paid legal demand of the law, Jesus covers for you and for me. And so Paul writes here, ultimately, that we are justified by faith apart from the works of the law. It's not our works. It's not what we do. It's by believing and receiving that gift. That older couple, as they stand in the courtroom, they deserve punishment because they haven't paid what, they, what was owed. Ultimately, the story goes that the judge, knowing that they were guilty, he recesses back into his office and pulls out $150 of his own money, and he comes and he brings it to the landlord and says, here, their demands have been paid. They're free to go. That's what Jesus did for us. We can't earn a right standing with a just God. So God's righteousness, how do we get it? Do we get it because we're a Jew or a Gentile? Paul finishes this. Is God the God of Jews only? No, he's the God of Gentiles too. He says, verse 31, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold it. All right. We, what the law gives us, we don't overthrow. We don't set it aside, but we stand on it because ultimately the purpose of the law shows us we fall short. We sin and it should show us what sin is. How do you know what's right? How do you know what's wrong? That's what the law tells us. The bad news of the law, knowledge of the sin, verse 20, leads us to the good news of the gospel, the righteousness of God in verse 22. And so let's look at this, three things here of God's righteousness. God's righteousness ultimately comes not through the law, verse 20 and 21. All right, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So the law brings accountability. The law bears witness about the righteousness of God. But God's righteousness does not come through the law. God's righteousness also comes not through our works. Verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We miss the mark, all of us. So God's righteousness isn't achieved or obtained through our works. 
But God's righteousness comes as a gift, and it's accepted by faith in verse 24 and 25. We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. It is a gift that we've been given. You have been given access to a gift today. You sit here today and you can be right with God. Not on your own merit and not on your own doing. It's a gift that God extends to you. And it's for you to believe or it's you to reject. You have that choice. God gives that to us. Will you believe that Jesus took your punishment and paid what you deserve to pay? The full wrath of a righteous God was poured out on Jesus. When you do some digging and, and studying, you realize how big that is. That's no small sacrifice. Because you think about your sin of this day. And then I think about all of my sin, not just today, but yesterday and the day before and the day before and the day before. And mom could tell you a few of those years, all of those things. And the list gets pretty big. And then I think about the future. And you know what? Jesus took the punishment for that as well. It's to be received by faith. Thus, this shows the righteousness of God. God is just. And he allows us to come to him. As the justifier, the one who allows us to leave the courtroom innocent, not guilty. We're guilty indeed, but the payment's been paid in full. It's a gift. God's righteousness has been extended to you. If you haven't yet trusted Jesus as your savior, Please do so today. That's the only way you can be made right. Is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. To believe that he died on the cross for your sin. And that he was buried and that he rose again three days later. God doesn't promise that our lives are going to be glorious. And we'll get everything that we want and all that we desire. No, he promises that he will be right there with us as we walk. And in fact, he will make sure that we have everything that we need in order to follow and continue to trust him. That list probably looks a little different in your mind than what God has in mind. But I will tell you, there's nothing that compares to the peace of God because it surpasses all of our understanding. For those of you who have placed your faith in Jesus, how are you living today? How are you walking today? What's your faith show? Go to the text. See where we were. Be reminded of how bad off we were. And thank God for the gift that he's given you. And live life that way. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your goodness. I thank you, Lord, for the way that you have 
provided your righteousness for our account. Our accounts, all of us, we were in the deficit. And there was no way we could pay it all. When we believe and trust that Jesus fully paid our account, we see the gift that it is. We realize that we were helpless. We realize that it didn't matter what our background was. It doesn't matter our upbringing. It doesn't matter what color our skin or what our heritage is, whether we're a man or a woman. Lord, we're all found in want because we fall short of your perfect standard. And yet, Lord, you've given us a great gift and you've given it to the world. I wonder if there are some here today listening who have not yet given their life to Jesus. If that's you, would you give your heart to Jesus? Would you ask him to forgive you of your sin and make you right in his standing so that not only you can be forgiven of your sin, but that you can enjoy an eternal home with him, an eternal relationship with him, Starting now here on the earth, on this fallen earth and world, but yet, Lord, enjoying the perfect world one day to come, heaven, with you, face to face. We would look forward to that day, Lord, and I pray that you would help us to live faithfully, to live obediently, not trying to achieve your righteousness. We can't do that. But Lord, we seek you and your righteousness. We seek your kingdom first. And not add other things to it. You tell us to place our faith in you and seek your way of life. Your way of living what you demand from us is easy and light. You've gone before us. Jesus has set the example and we're to follow. Help us to be obedient. Help us to make good choices. Understanding again, the sacrifice that was made on our account so that we can eternally enjoy you. We owe you our lives, Lord. Help us to live that way with a mindset and a heart set of gratitude. We love you and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.